right, good morning again. Like I said, my name is Sophie. I am so honored to be with you all again this morning. I have had the privilege of preaching here a couple of times over the years, and it often has been in February. I think I realized last year when I preached in February, it had been like three or four years in a row. Uh, but I'm so glad I get to be here today in January because actually at the end of the month, I am moving back to Minneapolis, which is where I'm originally from. And so my family won't be here um, on the district anymore. And I just wanted to say a thank you for welcoming me and Jared and our family kind of into the extended family of New Life Church. And it's been an honor to be a part of this community kind of close by and then from a little bit afar. So we cover your prayers as we make this transition as well. And so today we're here, and I'm so glad that you still have your Christmas decorations up. Because um, I was thinking about the song, and I think it's, we, we don't all have to sing along, but I think you will recognize this song, uh, The Twelve Days of Christmas, right? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me partridge, and I told you guys don't want to hear me sing, so we won't finish that. <laughs> but we're all familiar with this song, all the birds, all the lords a-leaping, and it's a helpful reminder to us that the season of Christmas actually does last 12 days. And that season starts on December 25th and just wrapped up on Friday, January 6th. And so whereas the general culture will start selling us all the Christmas decor, I mean now, even before Halloween, am I right? But as soon as Christmas is done, like on December 26th, like we're done, right? No more Christmas music on the radio. They want to be done, move on to the next thing. I think there's Valentine's decorations now in the store. But the church calendar starts the season of Christmas on the, on the 25th, and we get 12 whole days to celebrate before moving into the season of Epiphany. I know in many years I have missed those 12 days because as soon as Christmas happens, I'm then unpacking my suitcase from family travels, there's all the post-holiday cleanup, there's the New Year's reflections, Culturally, we're kind of urged to move on right away. But I'm so glad that as a church, as a global church, we have a season to allow us to sit and dwell in the gift of God among us. These 12 days are set aside really intentionally in the Christian calendar to give us that chance to dwell. I know we had a bit of a hectic holiday season. We had some friends get stuck with us because of the whole Southwest travel debacle. I don't know if anyone else had their plans disrupted or family plans disrupted. But it was so nice on December 26th this year to take kind of a deep breath and say to my, my three-year-old, Jet, it's still Christmas. Every day that week, we just kept saying, it's still Christmas, it's still Christmas. And that leads us to today, Epiphany. Um, the actual day of Epiphany is January 6th, so that was on Friday, and now we are into the season of Epiphany, and since this is our closest Sunday to Epiphany, I took the liberty of celebrating it with you all today, and that's what we'll be um, reflecting on today. I'm grateful because Epiphany leads us thoughtfully out of the Christmas season instead of abruptly. It gives us space for transition and reflection. And so today we're going to read the very familiar story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. But since this story can be so familiar, I encourage you today, as I read the scripture aloud, to let it wash over you and see if there's any new details that God wants to bring afresh to you today. All right, our passage today comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and I will search carefully for the child. Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the words spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving. Rachel weeping for her children because she did not want to be comforted because they were no more. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, I, may, I think I may have copied in the wrong um, scripture translation onto mine. So you've caught some different words, but that helps, I think, illuminate uh, the differences in the story from what we might be used to. I think because of Christmas pageants and nativity scenes that we're so used to, we've gotten kind of comfortable with some biblically inaccurate images. And so we'll take a little look at those to see what God might be saying, that there's a little bit more to the story. I love thinking about the differences in the Gospels. Um, but the main thing is that we always put the, the wise men or the magi at the nativity scene, but they didn't actually arrive until the epiphany story in scripture. And so here's a little, a little meme to, to illustrate that. My grandmother always kept the wise men um, or the magi far away from the nativity and she would travel them over to the actual manger scene on, until epiphany. I tried to do that with my kids, but really all of our um, nativity scene figurines just became toys the whole season. And so we had angels and donkeys and things kind of like all around our living room throughout the season. Um, there's a couple of differences in the way the Gospels tell the birth of Jesus. They all highlight some different aspects 
of the story, and we tend to kind of mash them all together into our Christmas stories. So Mark actually skips the birth of Jesus entirely, and that is par for the course for the rest of how Mark tells the gospel. It is fast-paced, it is an action story, it is go, go, go throughout that whole gospel. Luke really highlights the announcement to Mary, her visit to Elizabeth, and the angels that show up to the shepherds. And this sets up the themes of Luke about how God is always showing up unexpectedly among the poor. And God's, um, and John is famous for the, in the beginning was the word, and it's full of poetry and imagery about light and darkness. He's setting up this cosmic story that's weaving in Greek philosophy and imagery to set Christ as within this global or this cosmic context. And today's gospel, Matthew, gives us the family tree of Jesus, the journey to Bethlehem, and sets up the rich history and political scene because he has a largely Jewish audience of readers. And so then we reach today's passage, the arrival of the Magi or the wise men. And this may have reminded you of another Christmas song, we three kings of Orient are. I'm not sure I remember the right words anymore because I just knew the children's version. <laughs> and so that also, we're so used to talking about the three kings, but just two interesting notes. Um, nowhere does it say there are only three, but because we talk about gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we often affiliate it with three people. And it also doesn't call them kings. It calls them wise men or magi. And so... On Epiphany, by looking a little more deeply at this story, I hope we can see that there is always more to the Christmas story than what we might see at a glance. And that every year as we revisit the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, and Epiphany, and the season to follow, God always has more in store for us if we pay attention. Epiphany, this holiday, is about a revealing, an appearing, that's what the word epiphany means, as in, I just had an epiphany. I was trying to think of an example of like an epiphany in my, old, my own life, and this is silly but small. I have realized more and more recently, I keep having these small epiphanies where I realize oh, I am becoming my mother. I adjust the lighting in rooms and I'm picking up people's glasses that they leave around to like clear off the countertops, and every time I do it, I go, oh, I am becoming my mother. So that's that kind of epiphany feeling, like in the moment you have a realization. And so the story of Christmas is the epiphany that God is with us. It is the revelation, the appearing of God through Christ. We see in um, 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, this is the other um, use of the word epiphany here, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It is the appearance of Jesus who brings us life, and that is the epiphany, God's revelation, that we are seeing in the scripture today. So the story, um, sorry, the question that I want to put before us today as we look more deeply at the story of the wise men is how do we look for Christ appearing among us? How do we look for Christ appearing among us? Let's look at this scripture passage and look at the main characters and look at the different ways that they pay attention and respond to God's epiphany and revelation before them. The Magi, 
King Herod and the Holy Family are all part of the epiphany. They are all looking and listening for God among them, but they also respond in very different ways. So first, let's look at the journey of the wise men. The three magi, or however many there may have been in the original, um, original story, who are the magi? They are most likely some form of fortune tellers, probably Zoroastrian priests trained in astrology and reading the stars. They are outsiders to the Jewish people. They're foreigners. They come from the east, which at the time likely meant Persia, which is around modern-day Iraq, Iran. And they're not the type of people you would expect to have a starring role in the birth of Jesus, in the Christmas story. But just like Mary and the shepherds, God is constantly showing up among the unexpected. The wise men must have been waiting and listening. They were prepared. They were watching the stars for some type of shift, some type of clue that something was happening or something was going to happen. They were prepared and ready, and they leave the comfort of their home and go on this risky journey to a foreign land and a long pilgrimage. We don't know the exact details, but it's likely that they arrived actually when Jesus was more like a toddler instead of a newborn. So they are prepared, they are watching, they leave on a risky journey, and they are also discerning. A dream tells them about the star, and a dream tells them not to return to Herod, to go home by another way. And so one thing we can learn from the journey of the wise men is that following God may require shifting direction. Following God may require shifting direction. They are paying attention and they take a risky journey to see where God might be leading them and another risky journey by a different way home. Now let's think about Herod. Herod was installed by the Romans to rule over Judea. His role was really to appease the elite while also trying to meet the needs of the Jewish people. He, um, we can read in history about him that he was incredibly loyal to the Romans, pretty much to the point of treason um, and betrayal of the Jewish people. He's quite famous in the, the ancient world for his lavish lifestyle, his massive building projects, he was obsessed with power and status. He was also deeply paranoid. Um, the story is that he killed one of his own wives and two of his sons in order to maintain power. He was a pretty ruthless ruler. So what is his response to the Magi and to this epiphany that there's going to be a new king among them? He is terrified. He is frightened by the threat to his power. In verse 3, we hear that he is so scared of what the Magi have come and told him that he, instead of welcoming this good news of Christ, of God appearing among the people, the Messiah coming to dwell amongst them, he instead reacts incredibly violently. He's deceitful. He acts in secret. He lies to the Magi. He says, please go and find this baby so that I may go and worship him. 
But that's, of course, a lie because we see a couple of verses later that he responds with vengeance and actually sets out a decree to murder all the children under age two. He's so terrified of the threat to his power that he's willing to commit a mass atrocity to maintain that power and lifestyle for himself. All of what we see in King Herod directly opposes the king that we see in Jesus. Herod clings to his power and responds violently and deceitfully, whereas Jesus is the king of the cosmos, but gives up all of his right power to become a servant, to dwell among us, who blesses the poor and the weak and welcomes the outsiders and proclaims the way of peace. And so in this story, we have such a contrast between King Herod and the way that um, powerful place responds to the presence of God amongst us and how Jesus instead is the way of peace among us. What we see from King Herod is that seeing the divine among us may challenge our comfort. It may feel like a total disruption to what we know, when we learn to see Christ among us and pay attention to God's revelation. We have choices about how we respond and we see in Herod a way not to respond. This way of destruction and violence that's totally opposed to the way of Jesus. The other characters in this story are the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus himself. God also appears to them. There is quite the epiphany and revelation in appearing, and it's within their very own family. It must have been so wild to receive this announcement that God is going to come to dwell amongst us within your very own family. They respond to God's appearing with welcome and hospitality. They welcome the news that Christ is with them. They welcome the baby Jesus into their family. But it's also risky for them. After the birth and after the visit from the Magi, Joseph also receives a dream. And this dream contains a warning from the Lord. So again, we see this practice of discernment, that they are paying attention and listening to God's voice and leading in their life. They wake from this dream, Joseph has this dream, and they go home by another route. They leave by night to travel through the desert into the foreign land of Egypt. They're fleeing from persecution and their lives are in danger because there is the Christ among them. And Herod is so threatened by this that he has, again, decreed this mass murder of young children. And so there's a threat to welcoming God among us, and yet there's also provision and safety when we are discerning and listening to where God is telling us to go. There is so much trust in the Holy Family. We see them trust this announcement that God will be with them, trust that God is leading them somewhere else, and they follow. And so we see from them that following God may require trusting in what we do not yet understand. There must be so much learning for them along the way, and yet they continue to trust and follow God into new places, and God blesses them as they do so. So we see in all these characters quite different ways of responding to God's appearing, to God's revelation. 
The wise men are paying attention and they respond faithfully even though it requires this difficult journey. Herod is also paying attention, but he responds with violence. And the Holy Family is paying attention, and because of their trust, they are gifted with the presence of God among them. And so the question for us today is how do we respond to God among us? How do we look for Christ continuing to appear? One of the gifts of the Christian calendar is that we circle back to these holidays and seasons over and over because God continues to appear among us. We celebrate the birth of Jesus every year because although it was a historical event that happened once, we trust that God is still with us, that God dwells among us, and that Christ is appearing to us continually in our life as we follow and listen for God's leading. God makes God's self known through the person of Jesus Christ. So as we look to Jesus, we see God's character and how to live. When Christ appears, it can be both a gift and an opportunity to respond. I was thinking of two examples, two people that have witnessed in their life what it looks like to look for Christ appearing among us today. They're kind of the like holy, holy people, and yet they are just average people like us as well. Um, One is Dorothy Day, and she says that Christ is in the stranger, in the person who has nowhere to go and no one to welcome him. Dorothy Day founded Houses of Hospitality, where she created spaces where people, workers um, living on the street or working in really poor conditions, could come and find a meal or find a place to stay. And this kind of spawned the Catholic worker movement and a lot of attention to the poor among us. Christ is in the stranger. She had eyes to see where Christ was in the world around her. Another holy figure who was also just like us is Mother Teresa. And she says, every day I see Jesus Christ in all his distressing disguises. We're all familiar that Mother Teresa couldn't heal the people that she was working with in Calcutta, but she was able to offer them dignity. She was able to offer the very poorest among them a place to die with dignity, to be cared for with a bath or a fresh bed, human presence among them. Dorothy Day and Mother Teresa, to me, are both examples of that type of hospitality where you start to see Christ in the person in front of you, in all of the distressing disguises. I think about the ways that they were uniquely gifted to see Christ among them, and the way that the Magi and Herod and the Holy Family all had skills that allowed them to see the revelation of Christ in different ways. And that we, too, have skills and stories that allow us to see Christ appearing among us. Dorothy Day had a home to offer. Mother Teresa had human presence, just the gift of being with people. The wise men were trained in reading the stars. This was not a skill that everyone had, and yet it gave them a unique role in God's revelation. Herod was in power and had people to help him listen to this revelation. 
but he also had resources that he could have used to spread the gospel of the newborn Jesus among them. And unfortunately, he used his skills for destruction instead of for gospel life. The Holy Family was faithful and humble. And so I ask you to consider, what do you have? What do you have that allows you to see Christ appearing among us? It's going to be a little different for each of us. It may be the gift of hospitality that allows you to welcome someone into your home for a meal, for an overnight, for a season. It may be that Christ is appearing in your coworker and you have the opportunity to offer a listening ear when they're going through a struggling time. It may be that in your neighbor, you see that they are going through something challenging and maybe you're able to babysit their kids for an afternoon or bring a meal. These ways of seeing that Christ can be right next to us, that we, as we offer hospitality and love and attention to those around us, that that is acknowledging Christ appearing among us. And it's responding with the love of Christ to our neighbor as well. I know in this area, many people work in technology and medical care, and what a gift it is to use the skill sets and passions and talents to bring gospel life to the world around us. I know as a church, you are experiencing a season of transition and discernment. And so this question is ever before us, ever before me as I make a big transition with my family, ever before you as you make a transition as a congregation. How are you as people, as a community, uniquely gifted to see and follow Christ amongst you? To see Christ appearing in your community? What are the gifts that your church has to offer? What are the opportunities that God has before you? I think of discernment as such a beautiful and challenging process. Discernment is partnering with God to see where God is in the world around us and how we can participate in God's good work. Throughout this story of the Magi, I see all the different characters discerning, listening for God's voice, and then responding. And we have these different models of how to listen and how to respond. Discernment is good and meaningful and challenging work. To look for Christ appearing among us, we have to pay attention. We have to do the equivalent of reading the stars. We have to listen to what's going on in our community, pay attention to what God is stirring inside each one of us. We have to lean on our own talents and skills and what God has gifted us with to bring those collectively as a community to see how they might work together for what God is doing in our midst. Probably need to take risks. We might have to leave what is comfortable or experience a season where there's some unknown and trust that God is leading step by step by step. We might need to move slowly. I know in our fast-paced world, it feels so countercultural to go slow. 
But it's an encouragement to me when I remember that the Magi's journey probably took over two years. That they were faithful to following this star, this calling of God, and that they were willing to take the time that the journey required to seek God and God's revelation among us. Step by step, we watch individually and collectively for where Christ is appearing. And step by step, we follow in faithful response to that. I know that a couple of years ago when we moved from our ministry as the Possibility Project to Heirloom East Bay, which is um, the farm in Castor Valley, there was so much discernment and it didn't always unfold the way that I thought it would. I really, really wanted, honestly, like I wanted the star in the sky to be like a five-year strategic plan. Like, here you go. I just wanted someone to deliver me the plan. But faithfully, I have had to realize that probably the star in the sky for the Magi wasn't as bright as it might look on the Christmas card. That when you look at the stars, if you are able to look and see a very bright star, it requires looking across the expanse of the stars and noticing that that one is a bit brighter than the rest. It's not quite a like 10 foot star in our vision, like so much bigger than all the other ones. It's just slightly brighter than the rest. And it's that type of discerning attention that God is asking of us to not just wait for someone else to drop the big plan in our lap or make everything plain and clear, but to be paying attention for the simple movements of God in our own lives and in our communities that it's the paying attention to where God is leading that equips us to take step by step by step in faithful response. I think that this story of the Magi has so much to teach us as God's church today. Discernment is an ongoing, pretty much never-ending process. We may make some decisions along the way, and that just spawns the next season of learning. And the good news is that God continues to appear, that God continues to be before us and alongside us, to be leading us into our future and equipping us as we go. And this is why we need Advent and Christmas and Epiphany every year. It's why we need to come back to the circle of the church calendar. Christ continues to appear among us. The good news of Christmas is that God is with us, Emmanuel. But we need the reminders every year as a church to pay attention. This is that message that just keeps coming back to me over and over in my work, throughout scripture and poetry and conversations. Pay attention. Pay attention. I don't know where God might be leading you today as an individual or as a church, but I know we can trust the good news that God is with us. God is truly with us, and God is leading all of us, and we are simply tasked with paying attention. I'm gonna offer a prayer for us, and then we get to continue in worship through music. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you for being among us, Emmanuel, 
that we come back to this Christmas story year after year to celebrate that you are with us. God, what good news that is for us. God, what good news that is for us, your church, for your church here in Cupertino, for across Northern California and around the globe. God, you are with us. God, sometimes it takes, it just takes the simple act of paying attention to see where you are appearing, where you are revealing yourself to us. God, would you continue to equip us, equip this church with the skills to see you appearing among us, with the passions and the giftings that are contained within this community, God, would you continue to equip us to respond to your revelation among us? Would you guide each one of us as we follow in this season of epiphany, looking for your revelation, celebrating Jesus who has come and Jesus who is still with us? God, I pray that in your love and power, you would continue to make us more and more and more like Jesus in the world today. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.